And welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, with the athletic, the sultan of script, Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing good, Kieran. That's a good one this week. When did you think of that? Like Tuesday, 3 p.m. at work? You just started writing down, you know, some some descriptors? Or I'm going to be honest with, with you, bro. Uh, sometimes when I drive to work, I think of these. Other times when I'm drinking Bud Lights, listening to Dan Dickerson call a Tigers game, I think of it. And that was something that happened approximately 3 o'clock today. All right. I was right on the time then. Just wrong day. Yes. So, so yeah. So, good times for the Tigers. We are recording this on a, uh, on a Saturday night after the Tigers defeated the Chicago White Sox. And an exciting game. An exciting game that had a lot of back and forth. The number one thing I sort of want to know, Cody, as someone who has to look at this objectively, are you having fun? The Tigers, after a dismal start to the season, you know, we're about halfway. They're, you know, give or take 10 games under 500. But if you want to look more optimistically, since May the 8th, they are 28 and 22. This is a team that, you know, Feels pretty entertaining, fun to watch, find ways to win, got some young, exciting players. I'm having fun, but I'm a little bit more emotionally invested in this than you are. Are you having fun? Yeah, you know, I'm not emotionally invested in uh, the team's win and loss record, but it's my job. I'm definitely emotionally invested in, in what's happening and, and, you know, from a professional standpoint, this whole year has, has been more fun. Uh, I think we were talking about it in spring training with A.J. Hinch as the manager, Um the day-to-day has been as fun as ever. I think just the level of conversations that he's able to have in his media sessions makes the day-to-day more interesting. Now, April was a brutal month. April was not very fun for anyone. But since then, there's been some good baseball. You know, there's still been some long games, some rain delays, some trying to stay awake uh, when they're playing on the West Coast. Pretty good, but, pretty good amount of doubleheaders, know, too. Oh, yeah, some doubleheaders. So those aren't always fun. They get a little long. Uh but especially when the team's been at home, now we're able to go back down on the field, have some conversations with people. I think it's definitely uh, been the most fun it's been since I started when the Tigers beat in 2019. It makes a big difference when the product is watchable. There were uh, 18,000 people at Comerica Park Friday night, which is not even half the park's capacity, but it was still probably the biggest crowd I've seen there outside of opening day. So you know, some people are coming out to the ballpark in the summertime, and it's been nice. Just watched a really good baseball game. Uh, Eric Haas put on a show, and here's why. Here's why I'm coming in a little bit fired up today, Karen. I'm, I'm coming in fired up for all those reasons we just talked about. Love so it. let's dive right into it. Today we're going to talk a little bit about risk, about assessing risk. We talked last week, for anyone who listened, about my car, about what are you going to do when you're driving under the TCF center and you see some standing water, are you going to keep going? Are you going to turn around? Are you going to try to find another way? Well, the risk was high. It was a, and, and made the wrong choice and so tried to drive through it. The water was also high. The car got stuck because everyone in Metro Detroit seemed to get their car flooded. Uh, getting it taken to a shop has been a disaster. I'm on the phone with insurance. I'm on the phone with the tow yard all the time. Uh, all in all, it was a poor decision. The risk was high. The reward was 
Uh, it'd save us a few minutes dropping off Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle at his hotel. The reward Shout wasn't even that high. Shout out Chandler, who, if he lived here, I'd probably be dead. Uh, good thing Chandler doesn't live here. He's a fun time. But wasn't worth the reward. Now, that brings me to another life situation. A few weeks ago was the last time we did a dating update. I told you guys I would, I would give an update. Uh, some things kind of had to stay off the record. I think the smoke has cleared now. Uh, so imagine a, a situation that involves a lot of risk, you know, are you going to tell your best friend of the opposite sex that you have feelings for that person? Because if you say it and it's not reciprocated, the friendship could be damaged, it could be ruined, uh, it could be all sorts of complicated, and to be real honest, uh, that is a situation I recently encountered in my life. I considered the risk, I knew it was a big gamble. In this case, I think the reward was also very high. You know, the idea of, of being romantically involved with someone that I've been very close friends with for several years sounded like something that could be very fulfilling. You know, in the movies, you think it's going to work. It's going to be this beautiful story. Well, in real life, Kieran, that's not always how it works. Sometimes you gamble and you lose. I lost. I lost uh, not really having dialogue with this person right now. I hope we are able to in the future, perhaps at least still be friends, but it's not been a very fun situation to deal with, and it's because I took a big swing, a big risk, and uh, just like driving that car into the water, I missed. And this leads, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Karen. No, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, w anything that involves high risk, high reward is a long-term endeavor, so... I would maybe wager that it's at least an incomplete with with the with the best friend thing because there hasn't been an action sense and and we don't have to dive too far into it but I'm just saying you know if you haven't had dialogue it's still relatively new you draft a guy if you draft a guy in the first round and he can't hit or he can't spot pitches for the first you know six weeks of his pro career doesn't mean you give up on him right. This is true. This is true. Player development is not linear, and life is not linear. I actually wrote that in a story a few weeks back. So that's why I'm talking about this. That's why we're talking about risk today, because we're less than a week from the first round of the MLB draft. The Tigers, as we know, have the number three pick. We've talked about it over the past few months on this podcast. At one point, we thought it was going to be Kumar Rocker or Marcelo Meyer. Well, the Tigers, it does not appear have any interest in drafting my guy Kumar Rocker. Kind of hurts because I like the guy. Uh, I don't think he's really on their radar. They view him more as a power reliever in the long term. Now, things could change. Things could always get weird in the next week. But it seems like Rocker's off the board. It seems like Meyer, that's still the Tigers guy. They like him a lot. So do the Pittsburgh Pirates. Marcelo Meyer might just be off the board. And we talked a little bit last week. It's looking like Jack Leiter out of Vandy or Jackson Job, the high school kid out of Oklahoma. I would say we're sitting here on Saturday. If the draft were today, I have reason to believe the Texas Rangers would actually select Jack Leiter rather than Jordan Lawler, which suddenly makes the Job thing, it changes the conversation. You're not choosing Job over a college pitcher. It's Job, or you could go Brady House, a, a high school hitter who the Tigers like a lot, or you could Khalil Watson, Henry Davis. I think especially if Leiter is gone, the Tigers are going Job, at least if the draft were today. Now, things could change. Maybe the Pirates don't want to pay Meyer a big uh, full slot value deal. 
I think that'd be best case scenario for the Tigers would be that the, the Pirates pass on Meyer and he falls to three. I think Alavila would be doing uh, backflips if that happened. But when we talk about risk, the Tigers are looking at selecting Jackson Job out of Heritage High School, Heritage Hall High School in Oklahoma City, where I have covered a football game or two, randomly enough. Um, and why is this a big risk? Well, high school pitchers have a really large bust rate. From 2001 to 2010, Tom Verducci did a story on this a couple years back. 35% of high school pitchers taken in the first round did not pitch in a major league game. Now you've had some really good pitchers come out of that uh, out of that class. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, um, uh, Zach Grinke, two of the best pitchers of this whole generation. Madison Bumgarner. You can go on. There have been some elite pitchers, but the fact is, high school arms can be very volatile. They're harder to project. They can get injured. Their their velocity can diminish. Uh, especially if you're looking, are you really going to take Job over Jack Leiter, who's a very polished college pitcher? You know, how high is his ceiling? Eh, I don't know. People have started to knock lighter because he's only like 6'1". He has a smaller frame. Does that mean he's going to get hurt? I think Jack Leiter's really polished. I think he'd be in the big leagues in two years pitching with Mize Manning and Scooble. That would make a lot of sense. But the Detroit Tigers scouting department seems to believe that Jackson Job has the highest ceiling of any pitcher in this draft, and that is why they just might take him maybe even over Jack Leiter. I've talked to a lot of people about Job over the past week or so. One person said, if there's anyone in this class who could be Justin Verlander, it's him. Another said, the Tigers view him like Josh Beckett, who the Alavila regime drafted in, uh, or Alavila and Dave Dombrowski drafted in Florida. So, you know, Beckett was a highly touted prospect out of high school the Tigers view Job as more polished than Beckett he has he has uh, a fastball that's in the upper 90s probably sits 94 96 but he's recently topped out at 99 he has a slider that is pretty sick I, I went and watched some videos there's some perfect game videos it might be the best off-speed pitch in the draft it, it, it is I would I would say it is uh go watch it there's some perfect game videos where you can see a behind the plate angle of it the thing moves a lot, and its spin rate is over 3,000 revolutions per minute. It would be an elite pitch at the MLB level, at least based on spin right now. He's got a pretty good changeup, a curve that he's developing as well. Talked to Job's high school coach earlier today, in fact. He was talking about, this guy is a little more savvy. We call pitches for all our kids, but not Jackson. We let Jackson kind of do his own thing. I actually think that speaks pretty big volumes. I think that's probably why the Tigers view him as perhaps even more polished than Josh Beckett was, but if you're going to take Jackson Job, especially if Jack Leiter is still on that board, you better be sure. It's a big risk. It's a big gamble. The timeline, it's probably going to take him longer to get to the major leagues. Now, Beckett got up there quick. Rick Porcello with the Tigers got up there quick out of high school, but it's probably going to take him longer to reach the majors, realistically. So I think it's a massive gamble. Uh, when I was first looking at it, I really didn't like it. I was like, are these guys really going to take Job? The more I've looked into Job, the more I've talked to people, I'm starting to get it. Uh, the more I've watched video on him, I'm starting to get it. But you better be sure, man. It's a very big risk. And so if you're the Tigers and you take Jackson Job, you better hope that car doesn't get stuck in the water. You better hope that a friend doesn't say, I don't feel the same way. Because that's how you get in trouble if you are running a baseball organization. Whew. 
Whew, man, a lot to unpack there. See, I sort of anticipated coming into this that I was going to have to sort of be the pro Job and, 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 and sort of like talk talk it out and be like, well, you want to do this because, you know, with a high school guy, with the things that he brings as opposed to the lighter, and, and your tone here is kind of surprising to me because we, we know how much you like lighter. So, like, I got, I, 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 basically, some of the gist of what you just said it was what I was going to bring up about Job, and I maybe I would sum it up in a different way and say, you know, with the big risk, see, look, look, like, I'm... I talked about this last week on my Twitter profile, bet on yourself and double down, right? So that goes along with high risk, high reward. That's 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 how you, you know, make it in life. Name a billionaire investor who didn't get there by taking a high risk. It doesn't really exist, right? And with Job, if you want to like simplify it a little bit, uh how about this? You believe that you're pitching coach and the program that he can implement from top down is top level you believe that why not give him just a fresh bash of clay to mold and and with maybe better tools than like another guy as opposed to lighter who i believe is regarded as lower upside than jackson Job. Uh, but more, as you said, more of a finished product. You said you like him better than you did Mize a couple of years ago in the draft. And that, I mean, and that's as ringing an endorsement as anything, because obviously Mize went 1-1, a consensus number one overall pick, by the way. At the time, it wasn't like a reach or anything when the Tigers made that. Um, why not give him somebody with bigger tools, with a better frame, with maybe a better longevity? This guy's, you know, we talked about Manning with, how he wasn't a full-time baseball player uh, until basically, essentially, he was on the verge of getting drafted. Now, Job's a full-time baseball player, but he hasn't been a full-time pitcher until, I don't know, what, 18 months ago or whatever. He was like a shortstop, and, and, and he also pitched. And then once his stuff really started cutting, he was a uh, he was a pitcher who happened to play shortstop occasionally. That's sort of been the most recent events of his baseball career. So... He's unrefined, as any high schooler would be, especially someone who hasn't necessarily dedicated full-time to being a pitcher, and he has a bigger frame, someone you can mold, someone who, uh, with a high school guy, this is very relevant, someone if you get him a professional uh, workout regimen and give him a plan, like can really grow into whatever sort of body that you know you would imagine him being, and you have high-end stuff to work with, uh, you know, whether he takes longer or shorter to get to the pros, you know, I- I'm not too worried about that, to be honest, because in baseball, you're drafting for the highest ceiling a lot of the times, unless you just happen like in 06 with the Tigers by the time they drafted Rick Parcell, or excuse me, not Rick Parcell, by the time they drafted Andrew Miller in 06, they realized they had a really good team, and I think they took Andrew Miller because they realized here's a guy who could probably spot us a little bit immediately because they, you know, they ended up going to the World Series year that that year. They they were right. And if you want to say, you know, I'll go further than that. Andrew Miller helped get them Miguel Cabrera, 
so that was as fruitful a first round pick as you can have uh you know just generally speaking but with jackson job i'm sitting here looking like you got tools you know it, it, i have no idea to know whether he has the right mentality but that little that little anecdote about talking to his uh, to his high school coach uh, you know with like we don't call pitches for him or whatever i mean that that tells me that that gives me a really good green light right there and so like if he checks the mental boxes we know he has the physical projection and the physical tools right now I, I, I'm I'm starting to lean toward Jackson Job. I'm starting to lean toward Jackson Job just because like you gotta be able to take someone that projects to be the highest caliber player. And you know this is just me. I'm not saying this how a front office should think, but just me. It's like there's a million arms out there. So if you're gonna take a picture that high, I would like a picture that high to have the highest caliber stuff as opposed to someone excuse me, who could be, you know, a third, fourth starter and, you know, on a good team or, you know, a bullpen arm like, like your boy Rocker. But like, I, I just think like that's, I, th- I feel like that's a good pick that a solid organization would do and not get too caught up in the, hey, we're seeing some progress. We're kind of close here. We could be winning meaningful games in a year or two years. We could be contending in two or three years. You know, let's get a guy who will be there right then. I, I just feel like the better long-term view is maybe the guy with the better tools if you trust your staff, if you trust your plan, to go get him as opposed to someone who closer to what you see is what you get. So, yeah, that leads me to a few different points. I think, number one, we've almost started talking about Jack Leiter as if he's, uh, you know, as if he's... Um, like Corey Kluber right after Tommy John surgery and, and Kluber's been good, but like, is he going to be able to throw 90? Like Jack Leiter is really good. Jack Leiter, I think is a very safe pick. I would probably still lean toward if Leiter is there and on the board, you take him because I think he's going to be a good major league starter. And I think he's going to be pitching in the big leagues by 2023. Now, as we said, it's possible Leiter's not there. And if not, if Leiter's not there, your decision's probably made for you. The Tigers, I should know, do seem to really like Brady House, who's a shortstop, who will probably have to move to third base. I've heard he's probably a little more power than Nick Castellanos, a little less hit tool, but almost a little bit of a Castellanos comp is in there, including a little bit uncertain about his defense. They like they like House a lot, but they like Job more. Um, but I, I think number one is scouting suddenly the new market inefficiency. Like, this is the interesting thing with Job, and I think it's interesting if he's so good, if he's so polished, why is he not going 1-1? Why is he not going 2? Why does it seem like if the Tigers don't take him, he's probably falling to 8, 9, 10, 11? No one else seems to be on Job this highly. The Tigers, they think that they've identified something that a lot of other people haven't. People know about Job. He's had tons of scouts at his games. But it's interesting, when Jackson Job was a sophomore in high school, he was throwing 86, he was a closer. Uh, when he was a junior, he started ticking up to 92. Junior year gets cut short by COVID. You know, he plays summer ball, and he starts playing well, and he grows a little bit, and the fastball really starts ticking up, and the spin rates just start going crazy. But really, he hasn't been the Jackson Job he is right now for more than you know, probably less than 12 months, probably like eight months. And then, you know, although the kid probably plays close to year round, really, 
the Tigers seem to think that Jackson Job has been this premium pitcher for all of his senior high school season, in which he's now topping out at 99, um, in which the slider is lethal, in which he's added, you know, improved his changeup and started mixing in the curveball. It seems like the Tigers have been watching him very closely, and they think that other teams maybe are taking him for granted. Maybe because he's not mentioned in the same breath as Lighter and Rocker all year. He was more of a late bloomer who was probably a first-round talent and then really started to impress people, and now he's probably a top-ten pick. And now, thanks to the Tigers, he's probably a top-five, top-three pick. Uh, but he's a late bloomer. So the Tigers, interestingly enough, they have come around to the analytics movement. They have a pretty robust analytics department. They've hired some very smart people uh, who work in that department. They also still have a lot of scouts. They have a bigger scouting department than a lot of teams who have gone all video. Um, Al Avila and David Chad are scouts by nature. That's, that's kind of the key to their background. They still value the opinion of their scouts. What if this is a case of a robust scouting department suddenly being a market inefficiency. It would make Alavila and David Chad look pretty brilliant, you know, which some people in baseball circles might almost laugh at. But it's it's an interesting idea. What if some of these teams that are laid off scouts, they didn't have as much video of Jackson Job to study? If they were looking at it, it was from uh, summer before his senior year or his junior year COVID season. And then when he starts topping out at 99 in May, well, they're, you know, you're a little late to the ball game. So I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Job, uh, he, he played football. You know, he was the quarterback at Heritage Hall. He gave up football his senior year to go all in on baseball. Again, that's a, that's a good football program. Oh, very good football school. And he was a very good quarterback. Um, his, this hasn't got talked about a lot. His father is a professional golfer, Brant Job. He's on the Champions Tour. He's, he had a long career as a pro golfer. Uh, we talked about Matt Manning's dad being a pro athlete. Like, does that help? You know, Matt Manning's dad played in the NBA for two years. Does that help his focus, his mentality? Well, this is something I, I heard today. This is something I heard from AJ Hinch. He was talking about golf. He was talking about going to the Rocket Mortgage Classic and some some PGA guys he plays with at his club near Houston. And he's like, being a pro golfer is a lot like being a pitcher. We don't realize. You know, when I go out and play golf, I'm just trying to hit it somewhat straight. I, you know, I'm trying to get it. If I'm hitting my irons, I'm trying to get it either on the green or somewhat close to the green. Pro golfers are trying to place it a very particular spot, you know, so they can get this uphill putt or this downhill putt or an easy chip so they can get within a couple feet of the hole. Every shot sets up the next shot. Just like in the big leagues, every pitch sets up the next pitch. Golf requires a lot of focus. Um, you would think that perhaps that has been instilled in Jackson Job through his father and his golf career a little bit. So that's another interesting note. That's why the Tigers are all in on this kid. Again, I don't know if they're right or wrong, uh, but I think it's shaping up to just be a really interesting decision. And this kid who's come not from nowhere, but in terms of top 10 draft prospects, he's kind of come out of nowhere. Now he could just be going number three. Well, I'm not in theory against zagging when everybody's zigging as a you know when you're talking about with uh you know heavily investing in scouting i i believe it was the astros uh when we read about the front office uh fallout uh had really they they had even stopped pro scouting i believe uh more more so more teams have with pro scouting including the yeah so like you know it's like one of those things where they're 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 sort of trying to remove the eye test might be 
a little bit uh, of a way to phrase it. And, you know, we see this in basketball where teams go big to counter the small ball. We see this in football where some teams become sort of like power power running teams in order to counter how everybody else is how everybody else is uh, spreading them out and having less less girth on the line or at linebackers or whatever. So we, we see this from time to time. I'm not against it in general. Um, I, I will say this as a to give a to give an illustration of maybe not unprecedented, but how sort of fresh it would be to take Job, a high school pitcher, at third overall. Uh, there hasn't been a high school pitcher taken in the top five since 2017. That happened with the second and third overall picks. That was Hunter Green and Mackenzie Gore, respectively. And the the returns on those have have not necessarily been fruitful. But you know that's not to say here or there you shouldn't necessarily judge like this person because of this based on that specifically. But that kind of goes to show you. Maybe that's why there's not as much traction with Job as high as the Tigers have him as opposed to other teams. Now, I will say this. They were, and this could definitely change, they were definitely first to sort of board the Job hype train in terms of leaking out to media, your colleague Keith Law and and, and MLB.com mock drafts. That was sort of like the first indication uh, maybe we could say something similar to the Marcelo Meyer thing, where that was something that the Tigers were connected to before, like, it was well after we had established that the Tigers were connected to Meyer, that all of a sudden this guy's going number one. Like, like the mm-hmm. Tigers being connected to Meyer definitely happened before we were talking about the Pirates taking him number one overall. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to circle back a little bit to... What you're talking about with the Rangers uh, possibly taking Jack Leiter because I'm um, I'm in North Texas obviously and I have a lot of friends who are avid baseball fans, avid Rangers fans, and they're not excited at all about any high school player, whether it be Lawler, whether it be mm. uh, even if Meyer fell, that like they're infatuated with the two Vandy guys. Some people really like Rocker, some people like Leiter. Um, it's hard to say that they're wrong, right? Because we both like those guys too. So I think it'd be really, really interesting if the Rangers went the Jack Leiter route because, number one, forever it's worth, I think the fan base here in Texas would be, just like the Tigers fan base would be, would be, you know, really in on that pick. And number two, I uh, getting if, if Lawler falls to three, and, and admittedly, Lawler falling to three is something that we haven't given that much like fodder with on this pod or even in, in my headspace because it just was like assumed that he wouldn't be there. But if it's Meyer, Leiter, one and two, and Lawler's there, and obviously you're staring at Jackson Job in the face, I think uh, unless the Tigers are just out on out on Lawler, which you know maybe they are, I don't know. But like if they don't think they're very big on they're them not at all. so if they're not very big on them all you think so if if, if if Lawler's there if Lawler's there and Job's there you don't think there's that much debate in the draft in Lakeland is that what you're saying 
I I think part of it is due to the fact Lawler was expected to go to for so long, but I think the Tigers definitely like Brady House more than they do Lawler, and maybe even Khalil Watson more than they do Lawler. I think there's some they think he is a premium defender, the best defensive shortstop in the class. But there are some pretty serious concerns about his hit tool, the Tigers. If you're thinking about drafting your shortstop of the future, you want a shortstop who can hit. So I, th- I think they would take Brady House before they take Lawler. Again, I could be wrong, you know, or things could change in the next week. Maybe someone makes a compelling argument in the draft room. Maybe they discover something else with one of these kids. I've also heard the Rangers probably the most likely to do something unexpected. They could try to cut a guy an underslot deal, and maybe they take – Khalil Watson, number two, and then, you know, the whole draft gets kind of messed up and no one knows what's going on. I I have heard that the Rangers could do something tricky, uh, but it also seems like they've really honed in on Jack Leiter just over the past week or so as perhaps the guy they feel the best about. So let me ask you this. How much is signability and... And, you know, the, the the slot allotment, how much is that going to play into where it affects the Tigers, whether directly or indirectly? Because I have read some, and again, this is just, you know, fodder on, you know, MLB.com or The Athletic or, you know, Pipeline or any, any of these things. So I'm not, like, reporting anything, obviously, because I'm not a reporter. But how much, like, there is some speculation that lighter being a guy who comes from, you know, obviously his dad made a lot of money in the major leagues, and, you know, it's not like he's got to, like, put bread on the table for his family. Uh, Jack, that is. So how much could he and his team be in sort of, like, communication with, be like, no, 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 and I'm just using that as an example. No, 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 I don't want to be in Detroit. I don't want to be in Detroit, so my demands are going to be X, and so therefore you shouldn't bother drafting me. I want to go to Boston at four or whatever. Like, like what? How much could that play into it? You, you sort of had a had a comment about about Meyer number one. Like, how much could this stuff kind of play in with these guys this year? Yeah, that's the stuff that I'm probably not quite as as privy to. Teams don't like to talk about that at all because they don't they don't want to give up any leverage in negotiation. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, we, we, people like to perceive the Tigers as, as cheap, but they are, uh, in terms of their draft philosophy, they're not going to go under slot. Like they're going to pay someone full value at pick three, whereas the, the pirates and Rangers are a little more up in the air. There's kind of this thought, well, what if the Tigers kind of come to this backroom deal with Meyer and say, Hey, we're going to give you whatever, eight and a half million. We're going to go over slot at three. And you have to go to then to the pirates and say you match this or like, you know, or I'm not going to sign. I'm going to go to I'm going to go to college. Uh, that's something that maybe could happen. That's kind of conniving. That's uh, the kind of dirty. But uh, hey, this is a this is but, a pretty dirty know, game. Here's the thing though about the dirty thing, and I want you to continue your point. But here's the thing about the dirty game is that like when you graduated college, you weren't given a place to work. You applied. When I graduated college, I wasn't given a place to work. I applied. And so, like, I I get the pushback when you just think of, like, the normal, like, as we look at sports where, like, you get drafted here. But I also understand players who want to use whatever leverage, especially in baseball, where you get drafted and, yes, you're going to get your money. You get drafted high. That's all well and good. But when you start talking about, like, you know, 
service time and and things like that like you like you want to make sure you go to the right organization you know we talk about other sports you know football this happened with john elway and and eli manning and in basketball danny ferry did this back in the day like you want to make sure that you can control as much if you want to try to control as much as you can i'm not going to hold it against you because you're literally taking your employment like your employment status is being done for you so i get that so i want you to continue but i think that's also worth noting because by the way pro labor podcast turning the corner pro labor pro labor podcast yeah um that that kind of i forgot where i was gonna go after that i think you know that could be a thing with Meyer. That's why the Rangers could maybe surprise and take someone a little more unexpected at two. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm sure that's a consideration for those organizations. And I think we will still go into draft night with not 100% knowing what to expect. Leiter's an interesting case in that he is this college guy. He comes from money. Uh, but I think as a result of that, you know, he also knows how this works. Maybe that yeah maybe he might want to go to Boston rather than Texas or even Detroit. Um, I don't I don't know the ins and outs of those negotiations or those conversations, so I almost don't want to speculate any more than I already have. But I think well, speaking, no, it could be. A I thing. think I th- and I think speaking. especially because there's not a clear cut number one pick this year, things could get a little weird, and that could trickle down, and maybe the Tigers don't take. Jackson Job, who we spent, you know, uh, like 20 minutes just talking about. Maybe maybe Jack Leiter's there, or maybe some other weird – maybe Marcelo Meyer's there, you know. Uh, it's I think we're going to go into draft night with someone with an idea of what is most likely to happen, but not quite certainty on what's what to expect. Is there any at this point – so we've talked about Watson. We've sort of said that Rocker's not really on the radar – it, 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 is there at all a dark horse for the Tigers at three? Because as of now, basically, so like if they take Meyer, if he's there, if they take Leiter and he's there, if they take Job and he's there, that would pretty much be going chalk. That would be like, nothing would be sort of like a huge surprise. Like and if any of those three were there and they took him, we'd be like, all right, we've sort of, We've read the tea leaves. We've seen it a little bit. Like there's enough speculation to where whether there's smoke, there's fire. I get it. They they like this guy. They took him. You know, like they, there's not like a huge surprise there. But like if the Rangers did the Watson pick, I mean that would be you know as you said that would throw the whole draft for a loop. Is there any? Because we would have called like three weeks ago, we would have called Jackson Job a dark horse yeah. for the Tigers at three. At this point, is there really a dark horse? Uh, sure. I, I think we've talked about Brady House. I almost wouldn't call him a dark horse because I think he's legitimately in con- in conversations. I think there's a world in, let's say, Meyer goes one, Leiter goes two. Maybe someone starts pounding the table. Maybe it's ownership. Maybe it's someone on the major league coaching staff, and they say, we're not doing this high school arm thing. Like, get us someone who can get to the big leagues or get us a bat because that's what the system needs. In which case, I, I don't think it's going to be Rocker, but I think in that case they could go House or maybe even if they if they don't like House's defense to that extent, maybe even Khalil Watson, who hasn't been linked to the Tigers quite as much. As a result of that, I kind of know less about him, but he's still, he's still a high-end uh, shortstop who's probably going to go in the top 10 picks. 
So if I were to identify a dark horse, it's a situation in which Leiter's gone, Meyer's gone, and at the last minute, you know, someone convinces uh, the decision makers, Alavila and ultimately Alavila and David Chad, to maybe go against their scouting department, which seems to really like Jackson Job. Um, that that that's kind of the only scenario I could envision there. And Henry Davis is a name that gets brought up a lot. I'm of the opinion that I really like Henry Davis. Sometimes I wonder, like, this guy's going to go to 10 All-Star games as a catcher, and everyone's going to be like, why do we not take him? Supposedly, the, the Tigers and several other teams are not big fans of his defense. They think he's not a catcher. You know, maybe he's a designated hitter or a first baseman or a corner outfielder who's not a very good outfielder. And I, th I think the Dylan Dingler thing does play into it because the Tigers have become so infatuated with Dingler because Dingler's performance has merited it. Uh, it seems like Henry Davis and Kumar Rocker are kind of in that conversation of guys who are good players who are still going to be top 10 picks, but not really uh, on the Tigers list going into draft night. And that's probably an upside thing. Because uh, if you view Henry Davis as not a catcher, then the upside diminishes, no matter how good his bat is. Quite a bit, yeah. And, and the rocker thing, as we've said, is an upside thing. So that kind of plays into what I was saying earlier about like taking a guy that you believe has the highest projection. And I don't necessarily hate that strategy on the surface. I like rocker. I like Davis. But if you're going to tell me, heck, even Watson or House, whom... Just to recap for those that maybe haven't, you know, listened to every minute of every episode, we've been on record, and I say we, I mean mainly you, been on record that it looks like, you know, some teams are viewing House as a guy who might end up at the corner, at third base, uh, not a shortstop, and, you know, how much of that should really play into it, you know, that can be fodder, but... Uh, that changes a little bit for the Tigers if, if you're trying to draft your quote-unquote shortstop of the future and this guy maybe doesn't have the mobility or his frame's going to get too stocky that you, you know, you're you probably going to end up putting him at third base. You know, that's a factor. you got to take all that in consideration. You know what I mean? So like, if you go with the higher upside play, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to be mad about it. And even if it's a Watson, like I, I, think, I think there's reasons for, to do that if that ends up being like sort of like the shake em up pick of the draft now uh admittedly if they took watson i would be a whole lot less prepared to give analysis of it because like you i haven't really given it a whole lot of thought so uh i i i actually got this question from a friend so this is not even a tiger specific question but i got a question from a friend because he knows i pay attention to this stuff uh and it's relevant for the tigers how would you classify this draft class? Would you say it's deep? Would you say it's top-heavy? Would you say that it's uh, pretty well-balanced with good, not great prospects? Like, how would you... Like, you don't have even have to do the whole draft class, obviously, but maybe, like, the top the top guys of, of the names that, that, that we all know. Would you... How would you sort of classify this rung of player? Yeah, I've, I've kind of heard... I think it's evolved a lot... Of over time for those in the industry. I think entering the year, I at least thought it was a pretty a pretty stacked draft class. I think part of that was the idea that Kumar Rocker was your presumptive number one pick, and teams have really cooled on Rocker. And it's not like he had a bad year. Like Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter were dominant at Vanderbilt. Perhaps the fact they were so overexposed that they really got picked apart, and, you know, well, Rocker's velocity was down for a couple starts, well, Leiter got, you know, they kind of dialed back on his innings for a couple starts. Um, 
I think over time it's kind of become clear this is probably not as deep of a class as even last year. Like whoever goes in the second round, probably not going to be as good as like Dylan Dingler. Um, top to bottom, maybe not as much depth and maybe not even the level of star power, you know, because there's not a Torkelson, a Mize, an Adley Rushman. Like there's not that clear cut number one, number two, number three. But I think one through 10, like you're looking at 10 guys who are, I think you're looking at a little stronger than your average year of guys who are some really intriguing talents. Again, we're talking about Kumar Rocker is now going to go six, seven, eight, nine. Like, like again, really? Like Kumar Rocker? Uh, you know, I know teams have their concerns about him and his command, but this guy's a stud and he's a proven college pitcher. He's probably not going in the top five right now. I think that speaks to the fact that there's, it's like, subtly deep up top now once you start getting past that i don't know that it, it pops as much as as like last year's class is what comes to mind where there was just a lot of really good talent uh you know really throughout the top five rounds um and but i don't know like again how does COVID impact this how how much of it do we just view it this way because we missed an entire year of watching a lot of these guys play especially it's harder for prep guys to get exposure. Maybe some of the college guys, like they didn't really play their junior year, um, you know, so maybe they weren't at their best going into their senior season. I think that probably influences the way we view this draft class a little bit. Um, so that's a long way of saying that it's, it, it's probably unfair to label it as one thing or the other. Uh, there are some really good talents in this draft class, maybe not quite as much depth when you start getting to the later rounds. So the the this doesn't really ha this doesn't happen in baseball, but in like football and basketball occasionally you have the head coach that's also the GM, right? And 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 outside of like a Greg Popovich or a Bill Belichick, that tends not to really work out because it's two completely opposing viewpoints where you have the long term, you have the short term view. Uh, obviously that's not the Tiger situation, Al, Chad, you know, Hinch, they, they have their roles and it seems like they're working together. And as I said at the top with, you know, the way the team has improved, you know, you have to give like a, a, a positive grade at this point with, with, with that threesome. But AJ, he's on record again. He did this with the, when the lions had their, when had their draft, someone asked him like, you know, what's your advice to the lions as they approach the NFL draft? And he said, take the best player available regardless of position, uh, which is, you know, a fine enough sort of like basic opinion to have, uh, your impressions of AJ and sort of how he handles things and like how Alice talked about things, like how much do you think AJ would, favor like a sure thing as opposed to a projection and how much does how much does al who right now is married to aj um and and has to work with him none nobody even al's most staunch defenders would say that he's going to be able to hire another manager you know uh you know how much does does this sort of tandem work together that would AJ understand sort of like a high upside pick like a Jackson Job uh you know is does he is he forthright enough to to be like look okay I get it like you know 
maybe lighter this or rocker that or whatever, but I get why like this is the better decision for the long-term health of the franchise. Like with it being a new tandem, do you have any sort of impressions on how this uh, marriage would sort of deal with their first draft together? Uh, I think in your average MLB organization, the manager has pretty close to zero to do with the MLB draft. The manager has a lot on his plate. Most managers aren't even involved in the the farm system. I'm pretty sure Aaron Boone does not really care about the Yankees draft. He's trying to get his team <laughs> playing competitive baseball. That might be a bad play. example. I don't know if he's involved in anything. He's just a guy to be well, like, hey, guys, <laughs> let's go. Come on, come on. He's well, exactly. I mean, that, that continues to further serve the point, though. Like, Brian Cashman's not like, Aaron, like, who should we draft? Like, that is not how that organization works. You know, in Chicago, David Ross is not worried about who we're, you know, oh, Jed, like, who are we going to draft? Like, he's trying to get his team into the playoffs. The Tigers, although they are trying to win, they're a little different in that they hired A.J. Hinch, and it seemed they hired A.J. Hinch because they valued his uh, his versatile skill set as both a good baseball manager and a good talent evaluator with a front office background. A.J. still got way too much on his plate to get mired into uh, the day-to-day of the draft. I mean, the Tigers have, have even split up the front office to where some guys have really locked in on the draft over the past month or two. And like Al and kind of his camp have worried more about the major league transactions. Uh, All that said, AJ Hinch has a lot of political capital in this organization. Now it gets a little too much into palace intrigue. We don't really know everything that goes on behind closed doors. Um, But I think AJ Hinch and his coaching staff probably have some opinions. I think they probably have a little more sway than... Uh, some of the other teams we've talked about. Because why bring in AJ if you're not going to at least listen to him, right? And so uh, it's interesting you said best player available. I don't know that AJ has had time to sit here and scout Jackson Job and Jack Leiter and determine which of them is actually the best player available. If I had to guess, I think there are some people at the big league level who would not be thrilled to select a prep arm who, number one, is risky, number two, could be three, four, five plus years away from the major leagues. I could see them favoring more of a a Jack Leiter type of guy. Uh, You know, that's not necessarily 100% fact or sourced information, but that's kind of the sense I get from not AJ, but just like the major league level in general, I don't think would be, I think the Job thing comes largely from the amateur scouting department. I'd be interested to know how the analytics department views that because if you're an analyst, you could say, well, 35% bust rate for high school arms, that's dumb. But modern day analytics are less about that and more about performance analytics, spin rates. If you look at Jackson Job's spin rates, they are off the charts. So maybe your analytic, your analysts are saying you'd be dumb not to take this guy. I think that, I think the analysts might, they might even be what ends up making the decision. Uh, and, and I don't know which way they would go. Uh, so I think that's that's really interesting. Well, look, like uh, I'm not trying to be dismissive of like overarching trends because I believe that is part of the part of the ingredients that leads you to a decision on who you're going to draft. But like the Chicago Bears this year took Justin Fields in the first round, a quarterback from Ohio State. Oh, when's the last time an Ohio State quarterback ever won anything? Well, it's like 
do you think Justin Fields could be a good quarterback? Does he have these traits? Does he have this sort of like mental capacity? Is he able to do this? If you check all those boxes, which I, I do consider myself an NFL draft guru because as a Lions fan, you don't really have any other choice. Like, I believe he checks all those boxes. So, like, the fact that he went to Ohio State shouldn't be like, oh, I don't believe him because he didn't go because he went to Ohio State. So it's like, oh, well, you know, he's a high school arm. They have this sort of bust rate, so therefore I don't believe in Jackson Job. Like I would feel like that's sort of like a lazy narrative to take. And so you shared a couple. Ex- <laughs> we started this podcast with you sharing a couple uh, going big uh, <laughs> and sort of going broke examples uh, with with your car and your day in life. Let me let me, let me say something um, about myself. So you know my my fiance, we're getting married next March. Uh, we started dating when it was in 2016. I was uh, I was just shy of turning 23 years old, and the first time I asked her out. Uh, I called her on the cellular phone because I thought that's how I'm going to stand out. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I called her on the phone. Kids, kids these days just text yeah. for any older yeah, listeners. Yeah, kids the these days like, just text or message on some social media app. I was like, I'm going to call her. And we had hung out in like, you know, mixed company for, you know, a couple months at that point. And I said, I'm going to call her. And she said no. And she gave me some excuses that turned out to be total BS. Uh, and that's the story maybe for another day about how I really turned the corner with, with, with her. But the, but the gist is she, you know, she said, no, I swung big. She said no. And I gave it a little time about three, four weeks later, we ended up connecting again, talking via, via text message. And then I asked her out in person again and then she said yes, and that was uh, our first day was March twenty third, two thousand sixteen. We have been together ever since. So there's some there's there's a swinging for the fences example of which has worked out, and so I wanted to at least give that in there because we talked about oh you should definitely go for it. However, you opened the podcast with two examples that were at best incomplete. <laughs> So I just I might we, we haven't talked about this yet. I don't know the status of my of my car because uh, again the catastrophic flooding up here in Detroit hasn't even gotten to the shop yet. If it's totaled, I might get the coveted Ford Mustang that we talked about a month or two out of this. So maybe that story ends well. Yes. Uh, worst case scenario, hopefully I just get the car repaired and it was just two weeks. Well, remind the remind the listeners don't know how why you ends. don't have a Mustang right now. Ooh. Ah, oh, we're back there. Hey, yeah, you can, you can give it a forty-five no, second no. recap. We we've talked about it. So oh, just we don't need forty-five seconds. We talked about it. You know, Mustang kind of always the car I, I wanted growing up, and you know, obviously wasn't really what I got as my first car. And then I, I got a second t- car to kind of help me get through college, and and just need something reliable. It was a very good car. A couple years ago it was kind of the first time I was I was buying my own car, hundred percent all on my own. I was you know doing well enough where I could get whatever I wanted within reason. And I was young. I was, I was not married. I was like, maybe this is the time I get a Mustang. Like maybe this is when else, you know, in 10 more years, I might have kids. Don't really want to be, you know, strapping a car seat in the back of a Mustang or whatever. Um, 
so I asked my girlfriend at the time, and we were we were pretty serious. We'd been it was a lot of long distance, but we had been together for more than a year, and had, had talked a lot about the future. And I said, "Would it be douchey if I got a Mustang?" And she said, "Yes." She, <laughs> How much Mustangs hesitation? Are, Mustangs are douchey with no hesitation. <laughs> with like like yes, please don't get a Mustang is is what I got out of that. So I got a Jeep Compass, and I love my Jeep Compass before it was in uh, floodwaters. It's leather interior, great car. I've I've been super thrilled with it but uh but uh i might just get a second chance at this mustang after all we will we, we shall see how this one resolves well it is worth noting and and i'll only say this just because uh you know my father's been on the podcast so people can kind of put uh put a voice to the anecdote my father uh always had a sports car still does always has a sports car in fact right now he has a 1991 mustang convertible as the car that he has but he has <laughs> He has a car about a different sports car or oldies car, you know, every six months or so. He buys it. He, you know, does a little bit with it, improves it a little bit, and then sells it and he gets another one. He's always had a 1984 Chevy S10, which uh, will not die. It's it's actually been totaled, but because it, he could still get it to work, he still drives it, and he's also an avid motorcycle rider. So that's how he was able to have his sports car while with kids. Is he always had the truck, and uh, at, at all these years, so he was able to uh, get away with uh, get away with having the uh, inefficient vehicle, while also. Uh, while also having the, the the life of having a sports car, so maybe keep that in mind for you, Cody, or anyone else who is thinking about trying to balance that out a little bit. So a lot of good draft talk. We don't have to uh, deviate too too far from that for this question, Cody. Uh, it's no secret that the front office is uh, highly criticized uh, over there in Detroit, but. There's a little bit of a balance there with the with the fan base where it's a front office that people are displeased with. However, they are also very excited for the Torkelsons of the world, the Dinglers of the world, the Riley Greens of the world, the Daniel Cabreras of the world, and and you know there and, and so on and so forth. Uh, is it fair to say that they've drafted, you know? I'm not. I'm not in the business of trying to put a grade because you really can't do that until several years afterward. But they've at least drafted promisingly well the past couple of years, or at least since you've been on the beat. Is that like a fair thing uh, to say? Definitely, since I've been on the beat. I mean, Riley Green, who again, he he wasn't a high school pitcher, but a guy that was really a product of the Tigers scouting department. They could have taken some some pretty some pretty notable college players uh, and and instead they took Riley Green and a lot of people at the time were like, oh, who's Riley Green? Some high school kid who looks really skinny and it supposedly sucks at fielding. Well, that turned out it turned out none of that was true and Riley Green is is terrific. Um, I would say, I mean, look, the Tigers had bad drafts for a long time and they have not produced a homegrown hitter of any note since. Nick Castellanos, um, and that's a real problem. But post twenty, like post the Matt Manning draft, the draft classes have been quite a bit better. You had a rough one, rough go of luck with Bo Burrows, with Kristen Stewart, with some other guys who did not pan out. Even you know Derek Hill's just now in the big leagues, and we're starting to like him again. But he was a first round pick. He's never probably going to be 
uh, a, a real star. So the Tigers had some bad drafts. They had drafts in which they didn't get much in the subsequent rounds. Uh, since then, I mean, Tarek Skubal was obviously a terrific pickup in the ninth round. We're still seeing how some of the more recent classes uh, shake out, but the Tigers have been talking up guys like Orion Kreidler. Um, obviously, last year's class was really deep. You have Gage Workman, Daniel Cabrera. I think the analytics department started getting a lot more influence. The, the profile of players the Tigers started going for was kind of less of this toolsy Derek Hill types or the you know the you could even encounter Matt Manning and like the high upside pitchers um I, I think with pitching they almost went a little safer or almost a little different more of a college pitcher profile for sure um Alex Fiedo you can include in that we'll see how he rebounds from his Tommy John surgery the draft class uh really over the last four or five years have been pretty good and i'd say over the last two or three years you could argue it's gonna need more development but you could argue they've been very good um so yeah i think that's that's kind of how i see that and it's interesting i was out with some friends uh friday night and you know kind of show up at the bar and people are like oh yeah covering the tigers that must be terrible you know they're oh like how bad did they lose tonight and they did lose that night but it was like no, like they're 27 and 21 in their past like 48 games. Like they've been people, I think even in Detroit, haven't quite grabbed on to the fact that Tigers are doing pretty good. And I'm almost, I'm not trying to be a homer because look, I, I try to criticize this organization when it messes up, but it goes back to the NBA thing. Like if the Pistons were 28 and 22, like I feel like people would just be losing their minds. Yeah. And that's not quite happening with the Tigers. And now it's this balance of like, well, we love A.J. Hinch, and we love Casey Mize, and we're excited for Torque and Green and Dingler, uh, but the front office still still has to get panned at every single uh, every single juncture. And look, we'll see what happens at the trade deadline. I have a feeling, that, as we talked about last week, like there might not be that much that happens, and the front office is going to get more criticism, and some of the free agent signings this offseason weren't great. Now, Robbie Grossman was pretty good, and uh, you know a couple of the others were, were okay. Um but all that is to say, like, I think Tigers fans are are going to have to reconcile that if this success continues. Like, uh, right now, in April, things seemed as bad as they ever had been. Yeah. It was like, this rebuild's not going to work. Like, oh my god, we wasted five years and it's going nowhere. And now it's like, wait, Mize Manning and Scooble are in the big leagues. The Tigers are above 500 since the start of May. Uh I think I, I, I think the hinge factor is real. I think AJ Hinch, Chris Fatter and company probably are the biggest reason for that turnaround and some players who have played really hard. But uh, the, the front office gets some credit there too. Suddenly the trajectory of this thing is uh, is back not only in the right, right direction, but it's uh, the future is as bright as it's been since I've been here. And that's the thing too. So like if you're gonna, if you're going to give A.J. Hinch, like, a lot of credit, which he deserves. He deserves a ton of credit. It's it's not just Hinch doing it. Like, there's it, – it, 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 this is such a cliche. <laughs> but it's, like, like, a team thing, man. Like, it's a team thing that, like, they have put together, like, a team that it competes hard. Like, one of, the, one of the things – you don't do this as much in baseball when you're scouting players – but like in football and basketball, one of the first things that you should look for when you're determining whether like this person be a good player is, does this guy give a damn? Does he give a damn? 
And I'll tell you what, the Tigers are chock full of dudes who give a damn. They give a damn. Guess what? The ones who didn't really give a damn, they ain't here anymore. Yeah. And it's some of some of them are nice guys. Not coincidence. Good hard workers. Not but yeah, there are a couple of these guys who I can tell you, there's a reason they're not here anymore. Yeah. So I, I like it's a it's a whole team thing. So like the reconciliation point that 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 you had there, I think is really good, and especially if things sort of uh, ascend at a level that. That, that Tigers fans would like, I, it, you have to sort of give credit where credit is due. We're not American Express. We're not in the credit industry. However, sometimes you do have to give credit where credit is well, due. I, I, I've said this before, and, and there are probably people out there, are they talking positive about Alavila? Well, I, I don't know that it's positive or negative. I think we're, it's just the facts right now. Like Things are going pretty we're well. We're trying to be fair. Alavila, Alavila still has to show... He can acquire some marquee free agents. He can make a creative trade or two. I've said this a million times. The biggest decisions of the Avila era are still ahead. It'd probably be nice to have another established piece or two at the major league level. Uh, I think I think the front office deserves criticism for not acquiring that through trades. At the same time, one of the best decisions Al Avila made in his entire tenure was hiring AJ Hinch and being smart enough to kind of know what he didn't know, which is the trade of a very good leader. And saying, AJ, I'm going to give you a lot of power. Like, I'm going to listen to you in all these decisions. And and we're going to kind of do this thing together. And uh, maybe it's not Al making every single decision or driving every single decision. At the end of the day, he hired AJ Hinch and it's made a difference. So uh, you deserve some credit for that. The Tigers are obviously not the best team in their division. But I would argue, not, not, and I would also argue this is not close. I would say they made the better managerial decision of well, teams we all know in that. their division. <laughs> so, like, hey, look, it's worth noting. Like, it's worth, you know, that's, the, you know, like like Chicago, the White Sox are a, God, they're such a fun team. Imagine how good they'd be. Like, AJ's got these Tigers 10 games under five hundred. Imagine how good they'd be if they had AJ. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I've started to really get – I've started – at first, man, I just laughed at La Russa and I was like, what's going on? I've started to love the La Russa White Sox because they're good, they're young, they're fun, and yet they're like bunting a guy <laughs> over to third with no one out. They're like – La Russa just leaves his pitchers in for 120 pitches, and it's like such a blend of this new school flamboyant team and this like 1985 brand of baseball that I think it is just fascinating. I love watching them, even though I don't think Tony Larusa should be their manager. It's uh, it's just, it's a fascinating dynamic. And guess what? They're still in first place. They still have a real good baseball team. Kudos to them. And and honestly, I would love to just like be a fly on the wall for the day to day interaction that he has with the players, especially going back to the, uh, going back to the to the home run and, you know, pimping it and, you know, like, you know, oh, well, you know, I'm disappointed in that. Like, all these. It, li- is, it is believed my colleague Andy McCullough of The Athletic, who is one of the very best writers in the entire country, has a White Sox story uh, with uh, pretty heavily centered on La Russa that should be coming out sometime around the All-Star break. So be sure to check that out. I think it's going to be good stuff. Well, if you're a subscriber to The Athletic so you can read Cody's work, which I recommend, you will also be able to read that. You'll be able to read all the draft coverage that Keith Law puts out in the lead-up. Uh, so if you're not an athletic subscriber, broken record here. If you're not an athletic subscriber, you definitely should. It's one of the best bargains, if not the best bargain in sports media. So real quick, Cody, speaking of innings limits and young guys and draft picks, 
we're finally starting to see uh, an innings restriction or an innings, uh, you know, holding pitchers back a little bit. So we saw Casey Mize do his first three inning outing, and uh, Scooble did not did not go through that today or today being Saturday. Uh, however, we we figure that is we know that is on the horizon so if you could just spend a little bit just sort of explaining explaining that process the tiger's thought process is it is it permanent or not or you know what what to expect from from mize and scooble moving forward yeah everyone bear with me here it is july 3rd and although all of the dog is in my office and has been very good we now have some fireworks popping off and uh she just tried to bark at the fireworks, and I don't know. If she, now she seems a little frightened. She's Aww. actually generally like not scared of anything, so she'll oh, probably yeah. go back to barking. Um, anyway, Tarek Scooble, Casey Mize. Yeah, it was, it was a uh, sure enough. Tiger's Twitter descended into about one minute of madness when Mize left after the third <laughs> inning the other night. Like, is he here? What's going on? AJ Hinch didn't broadcast it so much before the game, I think, because he didn't really know what you know. Didn't want the White Sox to know what the deal was. Uh, but it, it, it was a predetermined decision. Uh, I had even kind of alluded to this. I had a good idea it was coming. I didn't know exactly when, but sometime in July, you know, he was going to begin scaling Mize back. That's probably going to continue throughout the All-Star break. It's a matter of the, you know, uh, the fact that it's a consequence of the pandemic season. These guys didn't really get it up to build up their innings like normal pitchers because they're these young prized arms. They're going to be careful with them. Uh, but they also don't just want to shut him down like in August, right? So that's the reason that Mize is going to make some shorter starts. Scooble did it earlier this year out of the bullpen. Probably um, Hinch doesn't want to have them both going three innings at like the same time, but probably once Mize gets ramped back up, Scooble will get ramped back down. Um, probably won't apply to Matt Manning as much. Number one, we'll have to see for sure if he sticks in the big leagues. Number two, he started the year off. Uh, like in spring training, he was only throwing about two innings at a time. He was a little more limited early in the season as well in AAA. So all that's to say, like, this is very much expected. Uh, I get the reasoning for it. My big question is, like, are these guys still going to be shut down at some point? And I'm getting the sense the Tigers want them to both pitch into September, uh, maybe into mid-September, and then kind of see... What are their actual innings counts at? They're not so much going to follow this 20 to 30% innings increase rule that we talked about at the beginning of the season. Uh, I guess Hinge has like a number in his mind that he's not telling the media. He's also not telling Casey Mize or Tarek Skubal like what their limit is because he doesn't want them viewing it as like a finish line. You know, he wants them just going full throttle until someone tells him to stop. But it sounds like the Tigers do intend to get these guys into September, mid-September, and then maybe see uh, what the state of, of you know their health is, what the state of their fatigue level is. Is Are the Tigers, uh, they're probably not going to be within striking distance, but like how meaningful are the games? I'm sure that'll be somewhat of a, of a factor. Uh, so I think that's kind of the biggest thing we've learned is we're not just going to see these guys shut down for good on September 1st. Uh, hopefully we still get to see him pitch later into the season. And the reason we'll get to see them pitch later in the season is because right now they're being limited a little bit just so, so the workload is a bit less taxing. Yeah, something to look forward to, something to look to, forward to for sure. So uh, it'd be nice to see them play some meaningful games in September because, again, I imagine the Tigers will still be given a damn 
at that point, playing hard, trying to you know further establish this culture that AJ Hinch has. And a lot of guys will be playing for their roles yeah. next year. I think that more than ever, like they're going to be. There's a lot at stake for if you're Daz Cameron or even Akil Badu or. Um, you know, other guys on expiring deals or are, are arbitration eligible, like you're trying to make sure you get tendered a contract and make some money. They're not going to be in the playoff hunt, most likely, unless they just play out of their minds going forward, uh, which, I, you know, as much as this team's been fun, the, the talent level is just not quite that high yet. Um, but the players on an individual basis are going to have a lot to play for as this culture changes and then collectively you start trying to change the culture. A good way to do that is reinforce it, finish the year with 70 or so wins, and you can feel pretty good about what you did. Yeah, very fair. Very fair. That's a very good point and something that uh, will make the back end of the season very, very interesting. Anything you want to plug for next week? Um, yeah, I would just say stick around. Uh, we're going to have some good content coming up. I think the, the Tigers are going to Texas. We'll hopefully have a little update on Jake Rogers as he heads back to his home state. Trying to see if I can secure some time with Casey Mize one on one. We will see if he gets an all-star nod. But I think regardless, I'm hoping to do something a little deeper on Mize and his mindset as he finishes up the first half of this season. Um, going to have some draft content in the works, uh, a draft profile, uh, regardless of whether the Tigers select him, I'll just be honest. I've been assigned to write about Jackson Job, so, uh, you can re- read about that. Now, if he ends up going to, uh, another team, you know, sorry, maybe you'll still be interested after some of the stuff we've talked about and then finishing up a project on the 50th anniversary of the 1971 all-star game that will hopefully run around this year's all-star break. So I think it's going to be uh at least hopefully a pretty strong couple weeks of content hope you guys will check it out or subscribe if you don't already yes couple couple things there uh man i didn't think interest level would be this strong at this time during the month of april uh with uh the tigers on the field and even even what the draft the draft is always interesting in and of itself but like if the team's not showing as much you know it's easy to say that a lot of fan base would tune off the draft just because you know these guys aren't just immediately coming into the team so a lot of good stuff in the works there um really looking forward to that all-star game story because uh the nostalgic guy in me is really curious what what some of those uh legends that played over at tiger stadium tiger stadium of course being the inspiration for the name of this podcast turning the corner if you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe to The Athletic so you can read Cody's work so Olive can be comforted in times of fright from fireworks and be a healthy, happy dog that she is. Please subscribe to this podcast, Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast on Apple or Spotify. You can follow Cody Stavenhagen on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. The pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Next week, with the All Star break uh, happening, we will do a, a little fun segment. I won't give it a whole away, but a little fun segment about sort of assessing the immediate returns, the projection for a lot of guys on the on the roster and their roles moving forward in the next couple of years. So I think you guys will enjoy that. And hold on, we're going to do we're going to do something on draft night, right? Just a quick uh, quick little draft pod. 
Yeah, we're gonna do a draft pod. We're we're gonna do a draft. We'll have our regular episode, and then we'll do a specific draft pod. So that's also around the corner. Things are in the works. We appreciate all the listeners. We appreciate all the feedback, and you know it's a lot of fun. I'm on a sat. This is a Saturday night, like we said. Uh, my fiance's out drinking with her girlfriends. I said no, I can't go. I gotta do the Turn the Corner podcast. So. That's how much I like doing this podcast, and I and I always I always enjoy talking baseball and Tigers baseball with Cody and interacting with you guys on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. So, for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.